Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Playing netball is something I'm really passionate about. I love winning. I love the the idea of winning and losing. Like, once I'm out there on court, it's just do or die. Kate is a star of the Suncorp Super Netball, and let's say obsessed with netball. She started playing when she was just six, and it quickly engulfed her weekends and her life. It's been worth it, though. She's now a captain of the Melbourne Vixens and a member of the Australian netball team, the Diamonds. Speaking to Kate, it's as though there's still that same passion and enthusiasm to pull on the netball dress now as a little six-year-old back then when she started. Seeing the game continually strengthen and grow is something she's channelling her passion into now and is providing her with a powerful voice on the issues facing the sport. Loyalty and leadership are at the heart of Kate's career. A one-club player at the Vixens, it's her leadership that she's gained much respect and admiration for. She's seen so much change in netball across her career, but it was an early stint working at a juvenile detention centre which gave her a unique perspective on her position in sport early on. But for Kate, it all started as an active young gun growing up in regional Victoria. I just grew up in a family who loves sports. I grew up in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, about 45 minutes from the city and have an older brother and a younger sister. And yeah, I just tried to get involved in as much sport as I could. Um, We had a lot of fun growing up and I suppose started playing netball at my local netball courts at the age of six. And that's sort of where the love for my, for netball sort of came about and um, started to work my way up through the pathway. Were there other sports that you were quite good at and excelled at that were kind of challenging netball for your time? Oh, I think early on I played lots. You know, I, I did swimming, I played tennis, I played a lot of basketball um, and probably picked, got to the stage where I needed to pick out of netball and basketball but definitely couldn't shoot. So netball uh, was the sport for <laughs> me uh, and playing in the midcourt there. But, yeah, I just enjoyed anything that, you know, I was running around, had a ball and... Uh, Netball was definitely the sport that stood out for me, though. It was the one, I think it's the ultimate team sport. You really can't do anything without the other six around you. Um, And I just love the team aspect of it. Yeah, we can't even shoot, can you? I can't shoot. One, I can't (laughs) shoot, and two, I'm not allowed to shoot, so it's perfect. (laughs) Um, You're a centre and and mid-court, but predominantly centre. Were you always centre? And people always joke and netball fans always joke about the centre and, and their personality ties <laughs> as being the one that has to be in the middle of everything and then has to be have the attention and, and be that be, and that fully energetic person. Were you like that as a kid? I think I actually started as a defender and then I played some goals. Um, as I said, that my skill in shooting isn't great, so moved out of there pretty quickly. And then, yeah, I, I played predominantly as centre most of my life. I'm not overly tall, um, so it probably worked that way a little bit. You always sort of start off in goaling and defending and as everyone else starts to grow, you sort of work your way into the midcourt. So that's sort of what I did. Um, but actually my first five or so years at the Melbourne Vixens, I played as a wing defence, which is the apparent hmm, position cute. that no one wants to play. Um, <laughs> I might be biased. I think it's the most important position on the court. But, yeah, I, I love centre as well. And you get to sort of cover the whole court, get to run around. And as you said, you're sort of involved in everything that's happening. When did it start to get serious for you for netball? It sounds like it evolved your life pretty quickly right from the get-go. But in terms of selections and things, when did it start to get serious? Yeah, as you said, it probably was a big part of my life for so long, but probably just because I loved it and I wanted to play. And then you sort of start to work your way through the Netball Victoria pathway, um, started to make representative sides, you know, regional sides, some academies, and it probably wasn't until I started to try out for state teams where I started to miss out on some sides. So I originally, so I didn't make the under-13s, I didn't make the under-15s, and it wasn't until top age under-17s that I made my first state team, which for some people is a little bit later you know, you see some girls who go all the way through and they make every team. Um, I probably didn't have it all smooth sailing. There were definitely some bumps in the road, but it was probably that under-17 age where netball kicked off for me. And I really started to think maybe this is something I can do and probably started to see what was next in that career from there. Do you think about that time when you got in that state age team? Was that Did that just open the netball floodgates for you? Um it sounds like. Do you, do you think about what would have happened if maybe that door hadn't opened? 
I don't think about what happened if it what would have happened if it didn't open, but I still remember running to the letterbox and nothing comes in the letterbox anymore. No. It's a strange nothing thing. you want anyway. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, <laughs> unless it's like a pill or something like that. Exactly. But running to the letterbox to get the letter and that just seems so strange now, but like getting that letter and jumping up and down just being so excited. Like what? Do, I don't even know. You would have had to send that a few days before yeah. to even find out. That, that yep. just seems strange now, but running to the letterbox and getting, and it's not the best thing I've ever done in my netball career, but it's one of the most memorable for me because it was that first time where someone had really said, you know, you were good enough and you were going, and, you know, we are heading over to Adelaide to play in, in the Nationals um, against the other states. So, but yeah, that was really the moment I think where it kicked off and from there was able to make state teams, 17s, 19s, 21s, make underage Aussie programs and sort of work my way onto the Melbourne Vixens. Do you remember being younger and looking at netball and, and seeing it on TV and seeing those stars? Yeah. Did you think, I want to be like that? It probably wasn't as easy as what it is now with all the <laughs> netball that we do get on TV. You know, I, I definitely remember watching games where Australia was playing and, you know, having my favourite players there. And then sort of the Vixens only um, became a team in 2008, so... You know, that's only about five or six years before I started playing for them. So I definitely watched the Vixens and and the players there. And I think as I started to get older, you know, I really wanted to play for the Melbourne Vixens. I don't know if I ever thought it would happen. And I was actually on a tour over, so we're doing a tour of the Caribbeans with the um, under-21 Australian team. And it was when I got back from there that I got a call from the head coach of the Melbourne Vixens Simone McInnes, who has now been my coach for 10 years, which is pretty crazy. And she said, do you want to come play for the Melbourne Vixens? I was like, yes. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I still remember walking into my first training session and seeing the likes of Sherelle McMahon and Bianca Chatfield and Jeeva Mentor, who's still playing now. But, um, you know, girls who I'd grown up watching on TV and I was just completely starstruck walking in. Um, I remember walking out to the car with Shrum McMahon after my first training session and I would have been as nervous as anything. So, yeah, it's um, – I'd was always – Was Cox there when uh, you first Coxie started? was there in 2014, so my second mm. year when we won the premiership. So that was another, yeah. you know, to think that you've played with the likes of Shrum McMahon, Kath Cox, Bianca Chatfield, it, it's pretty cool. Mm, absolutely. Um, when did it stop for you? When did you stop seeing them as superstars? <laughs> and when did you see them as teammates? Because that would have been hugely intimidating for, for a young rookie to kind of walk into. Yeah. And, and it was so different back then. Like now we have these programs that are set out where girls come into the Melbourne Vixens environment before they're on contract and they're training with you. And, um, you know, you have Vixens academies and training partners. We was when I first started, you didn't have that. So my first experience of meeting these girls was like my first training session. Um, you know, I, I think it, you probably transition pretty quickly once you're in the fold and um, you kind of sit there. I remember getting signed and thinking, I don't care if I ever get on the court. Like I'm just, <laughs> if I just play one year, like this is so amazing. And then you get there and automatically as an athlete, like I want to be on the court. Um, and so I think things change pretty quickly. You know, you always the goals are just like climbing every time you tick one off and it's like, okay, what's next? And I was lucky enough. So my first year I spent a bit of time sitting on the bench and sort of just coming on here and there. And then second year with the Melbourne Vixens. So 2014 with Kath Cox was there. We actually went on to win the grand final that year. Um, it was Liz Watson's first year as well. And um, I that was my first year playing wing defence. So learning that new position and you get there and then it's like, okay, now I want to be on the court. Now I want to be, you know, winning. And it just, yeah, it keeps evolving. Is it someone out of all those leaders that you just talked about, Bianca and, um, and, and Kath and Sherelle, is there anyone that really stood out or said something to you that really stuck with you as a young rookie? Yeah. You know, so many of the players that you just said had such an influence on me, but I think Bianca Chatfield, um, just had an, huge impact on my career and still does to this day. She's someone that I touch base with regularly, but she sort of, as soon as I jumped into that Melbourne Vixens environment, she took me under her wing and really showed me the way. And I I see her as the ultimate leader. She really knew how to bring a group of people together and get them on that same path to achieving what we wanted to as a group. And sort of didn't matter how long you'd been there for, if you were the oldest or the youngest, you just had this 
way of making everyone feel like they'd been there forever. And remember 2017 uh, when I was named captain, she wrote me a card and it, one of the things written in the card was, you're not going to know the answer to everything but surround yourself with great people. And I think that's one of the things I've been, that's always stuck with me and I've been so lucky to have so many amazing people around me at the Melbourne Vixens who have supported me pre-being one of the leaders in the side to being one of the leaders and whether that's my support network in netball but also out outside of netball mm. all as well. That's really cool. Really, really cool. You've been at the club, as you mentioned, 10 years now. What is it about you and what does it say about about you that you have been at that club for that many years? It's pretty crazy to think that I've been there for 10 years now and when I signed my first contract, I wouldn't. I thought I wouldn't have cared if it was just one year. I was just so excited to be there. To think I've been there for 10 years now is absolutely crazy and I couldn't see myself ever in another dress. The club has given me so much and so many opportunities. You know, Simone McInnes has had a huge impact on my career. Uh, she was there from day dot and then an assistant coach, Di Honey, who has also been there from 2013 as well. But then all the management at the Melbourne Vixens, you know, to give me an opportunity at the age of 19, um, you know, I've always wanted to repay them for that. And I feel really lucky to be able to represent Victoria growing up, but to still be able to pull on that Navy dress and to do that to this day. And yeah, being a one club player is something that I think is really special. Um, you know, not many players get to do that anymore. And I'm one of the lucky ones that got to play with the Melbourne Vixens. In the early days, did you also work while while playing? And can you give us some insight into what it was like to be one of the lower paid rookies in that system in those early days? Yeah, I, I think when you first uh, get asked to come play for the Melbourne Vixens, it doesn't matter what's on that contract, you're just going to sign it anyway because you just <laughs> want to be a part of the team and playing netball for me, was never about the money and it still isn't. But I think, yeah, I've seen the game evolve so much. We've seen netball grow so much. It's been pretty incredible to watch um, the growth over the past 10 years. And, yes, we've got so much further to go. But I used, I did work. Uh, so I worked in the Juvenile Detention Centre in Parkville for a couple of years um, when I first started playing with the Vixens, which was a really cool experience. Tell me why. What happened there? <laughs> um, so within the juvenile detention centre is uh, Parkville College and the principal of Parkville College, him and his daughter used to come to the netball. So that's sort of how they got in touch with me. And um, they had athletes that would go in, like footballers and stuff that would go in and see the young boys a bit, but they didn't really have anyone um, that was doing that with the girls. So I went in sort of as education support, but mainly just hung out with the kids in PE and PT. Uh, and yeah, it was an incredible experience. I, mm. I learned so much. Um, yeah. What's the biggest thing you got out of working at the detention centre? Um, probably just really learning um, in a way how sheltered my upbringing was. Like you just don't realise um, the opportunities that, we're given, you know, you see so many kids in the detention centre and, you know, they didn't get the opportunities to play sport growing up. We forget how much sport can really teach us as well. Like it's not just about catching and throwing and the fundamental skills, but it is about the connections you make with people, the teamwork, the resilience, the, you know, realising that, you know, there are umpires that control the game. And I, I don't know, I sort of went in there, They, you know, they don't necessarily have parents who are they're saying go to something as simple as, you know, you go to school, like wake up in the morning and there's breakfast there. And you, I, I think I just learned so much, yeah, perspective on life. And I think we can sometimes, me growing up, you know, I had, I had someone that drove me to netball every day or cared if I didn't go to school. And it sounds so basic, but I didn't realise that not everyone had that. And so... For me, I, I absolutely, I loved being in there and working with the kids and I learnt so much. But I also found it really hard. You know, some of these kids, they being in there, they had food on the table for them. Um, you know, they were told to go to school, all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was it was an incredible 
experience for me um, and hopefully I was able to give back to the kids in there as well. Did you build up some really um, meaningful relationships and with with some of the kids that continued on or, or or even during that time or yeah I think you know there are some kids that are in there for you know quite a bit of time but you also find that the kids that are in there once they leave they do come back as well which is really tough I think I was quite young at the time so I was probably only 23 24 when I was in there and there were some girls that were 21 you know, 19, wow, 20. Okay. So they weren't that different from my age as well. That's different for boys. It was I mainly worked with the younger boys in there, which only went up to about 15. There is um, older boys as well. But sitting down with them and, and talking to them and just, I suppose, being a sounding board for them or just even, you know, going and playing a game of around the world. <laughs> it sounds like, but that was something I think they got a lot out of. I think for sometimes with the boys, once I could show them that I could play, take them on in basketball, <laughs> I got a bit more respect. Um, but it was just sort of being there and someone that they could chat to. And, you know, it didn't matter if they didn't want to play sport, if we sat down and played cards for a bit, but just someone that was there to hang out with them. Sounds like it had quite an impact on you. <laughs> it was, it was um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Like it, it was probably one of the biggest challenges that I've ever done because it was, yeah, I learned so much. But just also being able to switch on and off, like go and do that and then go to training afterwards. Mm. But it took, yeah, it was quite draining and, and that as well. Um. When did your diamonds break through? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Was it always, it was, obviously it's always the plan. Oh, yeah, you know, growing mm. up playing netball, you dream of wearing the green and gold. Um, <laughs> so 2017 was my first year being selected in the diamond squad. That was the first year that I really started to play centre. So I moved from being a wing defence uh, to a centre. We had a really successful year as a team at the Melbourne Vixens and then at the end of the season was named in the squad, which was something that was really special for me. Um, was lucky enough to debut later that year in Adelaide, so in front of a home crowd, which was incredible, playing against New Zealand, our arch rivals, uh, and we got the win that day as well. And, yeah, I've sort of been in and out of the squad since th- – I've been in the squad the whole time but in and out of the team since then. Do you remember what was going through your head and the emotions you were feeling when you put on that green and gold dress for the first time? Yeah, so I remember being presented my green and gold, my first diamonds dress by Gabby Simpson we were over in Christchurch going to play in New Zealand. I didn't take the court for that game, so I was named in the 12. It wasn't until the game after that I actually took the court. So even just being presented the dress, and um, but once you take the court, you get given a number. So I'm diamond number 174, which is... A really cool thing to be a part of and yeah I just remember I didn't go onto the court until three quarter time and I think New Zealand had started to come back but I just had this overwhelming feeling that I was ready you know it probably took me a bit longer to get into the squad and the team than some others and I just remember sitting there going like I'm I'm ready like I, I want to get on the court so bad and yeah it was 15 minutes it was 15 minutes of high intensity quality netball it was tough but um yeah, I absolutely loved it. You talk about being in and out of the teams. Um, one of the things that you were out of were some of the major tournaments, the Com Games, World Cups. How difficult was that at the time, especially for the 2018 Com Games? Yeah, I um, so I've played in Constellation Cup and Quad Series, but never in a Com Games or a World Cup. So 2018, I missed out on Com Games and 2019, I missed out on World Cup and for both of those events, um, I was named as the training partner. So being so close and not getting selected, I think 2018, it was like, oh, like absolutely shattered. But then for it to happen again in 2019 for World Cup, it was really tough. Um, you miss out on those teams. It's like, okay, well, what can I do to get better and what can I do next? Um, and so that's sort of the way I always looked at it. Go back to my club, work on the things that I need to work on and then hopefully get another crack. Did it ever start playing on your mind about, you know, 2019 and then, I mean, 2020 and 2021 have been somewhat write-offs. So, um, uh, but, you know, is it starting ever play on your mind a little bit about missing out on these big, big events and big tournaments? Yeah, I suppose when you miss out on them, netball, we have two pinnacle events. It's World Cup and Com Games and both of them come around every four years. So you have two really big years and then two quieter years. 
as you said, with COVID the last two years have been, we haven't had a whole lot of test matches. So we all, I don't think we played any in 2020 or maybe a couple at the start of the year. And then 2021, we were able to go and play a few, but it, it has been really quiet for test matches. So, yeah, I think missing out on those teams, it, you do start to question if you're ever going to make one of the pinnacle events, like a Com Games or World Cup, but always at the Vixens, we always speak about, you know, you've got to do your job at your club. If you're doing your job at your club and the team's playing well and you're playing well, hopefully the rest of it will unfold. And so I think that's always been my biggest focus is just doing everything I can for the Vixens at the time. Uh, and then if I'm playing well and the team's playing well, hopefully things will, you know, flow on from there. Mm. Saying that, how did it feel to get the phone call <laughs> yeah. for the Birmingham team? Yeah, it was for the um, games. It was pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I think last Monday afternoon, got a call from the coach. Well, actually, get from the high performance manager, and they put you on with the coach as well. And you, my call wasn't until three o'clock in the afternoon. So you know it's coming, and you have your time, <laughs> and you just sitting there waiting and it's um gets it's getting closer and closer like you're looking at like 252 and you're just like okay it's coming soon <laughs> getting a bit more nervous um you're just scrolling insta trying to take your mind off things, yeah I think or what I are you doing like, try to keep I tried to keep busy for most of the day but then I was like all right so I'm just gonna put some tv on I think I was watching Netflix and I was like looking at my phone um not to think about it yeah and no it, honestly it was just yeah it was so exciting you sort of just waiting to hear like I think I don't even remember what Stacey said but just like congratulations <laughs> you're like oh my god okay <laughs> and then probably after that I don't remember much but um no it was just this overwhelming feeling of excitement and relief and yeah just really proud um yeah to get the opportunity to represent Australia in Birmingham it's um you sort of you go through and you really hope that it's going to happen, but you don't really know if you're ever going to get the opportunity to do it. And so and those mid-court positions were hard. There was <laughs> a lot of competition grabs, for those for ones, sure. weren't they? Yeah, the, yeah. the depth in Australian netball, but in the mid-court, all over. But it, it, it is so tough and, you know, you probably flip a coin and who knows on what day. But, um, no, yeah, um, no. yeah. <laughs> so incredibly <laughs> grateful and, yeah, I just can't wait uh, to head over and see what we can do. You talk about leadership, you've talked about it throughout this, but you are known for your leadership leadership qualities. That's something that someone, everyone always says about you as you're an outstanding leader. You've been captain of the Vixen since, as you mentioned, 2017, just four years after joining the club. At the time, were you ready to lead? And what qualities do you think the club saw in you that saw them give you this role? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, when I first started the Vixens, I never thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be the captain of the Melbourne Vixens one day. It was sort of just something that evolved and, and happened. Um, I think, to be honest, I I felt like I was ready to step up. I felt like the club was ready for me to step up as well. Um, I had some amazing leaders who had really supported me and people that I could learn off as well. and. Yeah, I just felt that I that I was in a position where I was ready to take over that role, and I've absolutely loved it. it it's an honour to lead out the Melbourne Vixens every single week. To think of the players who have gone before us, of the rich history that we have in netball in Victoria. If you ask Simone McInnes if I would have been the captain of the Melbourne Vixens one day when I first started in 2013, I think she would have just <laughs> laughed. Um, but. Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. I, I'm learning every day and trying to be a better leader every single day. It's a great challenge and it's something I really enjoy. What's the biggest thing you've probably learned about leadership since being captain of the Vixen since 2017? It's a good question. Um, I probably learned the most uh, last year, so in season 2021. And that might seem funny because that was probably my fifth year as captain but I think it's really easy to lead when everything's going well and you're winning it's not easy but it's easier and 2021 was a really tough year for us we'd come off the back of winning the premiership in 2020 and being in a hub 
um, went into our second season thinking COVID will be gone. We'll be just living normally, traveling weekly. Um, you know, life will be back to normal. And it certainly wasn't. We were back into a hub, living away from home again. The challenges of that when also... At the we, last minute too. Yeah. It happened so quickly. It was literally like get on a plane. And like I think we were in Brisbane. We thought we were going to play an away game. And next minute we were in Queensland for five weeks or something like that. So it was just always changing. I think 2020, it was kind of you got on the plane and it was, okay, you're going to be here for the whole season. I think just knowing that made it easy, the unknown of what you're doing and where you're going to be. And I think we packed to go to Adelaide, which was absolutely freezing. And then next minute you're getting on a plane a couple of hours later and you're going to Brisbane because Adelaide's now gone into lockdown and you know, we just bought all these puffers, like something, it sounds mm. so simple, but no. um, just yeah. the unknown of it all. And I know everyone all over Australia has had so many unknowns. I think just the challenges of 2021 were really tough. But, and I learned a lot. You know, you can take so much on as a leader, but really all the, the team needs you to do is to go out there and perform on game day. And I think, you know, we take on so much of the responsibility um, we're trying to find answers all the time, but really all I needed to do was go out and perform and do the best I could for my team on game day. Because you did go from being premiers to being Don't last. mention it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we were the very first club to ever do that. I've been reminded yeah. of that several times uh, this year, especially now heading uh, into finals and being back at the pointy end of the ladder where Yay. we like to be, which is really <laughs> exciting. But we... Yeah, so we were premiers in 2020, wooden spooners in 2021 and uh, fingers crossed we're hoping to be premiers again in 2022. So first club to go from premiers to wooden spoon, but we'll also be, if we can do that, first club to go from premiers to wooden spoon to premiers. So yeah, that's what we're working towards. Yeah, nice. But you did lose Liz Watson, who's the Diamonds captain um, and your co-captain for the whole season. But I mean, talk about testing your leadership. Was there something that you were able to learn from that or um, you talk about learning so much in 2021, but what is the biggest lesson from from leading in such a way? Were there moments when you questioned your leadership being, you know, head of a team that did do what no other team has gone and wants to do, basically, the unwanted piece of history? Yeah, I think um, when things aren't going well, you're constantly questioning why why isn't it working, what's not working, what can I do better. And as I said, sometimes that can sort of be to the detriment. It's just, you just need to go out there and perform. And as you said, we lost Liz Watson, but we also lost um, Tegan Phillip and Caitlin Thwaites, who um, had been a massive part of the Melbourne Vixens for so long and, you know, two of our most experienced players. So I think we went from, you know, when you've only got a team of 10 to lose three of probably your most experienced players, it, it is a big chunk. I think what we were so lucky is that we did have, we had girls who came in to our team and yes, we didn't necessarily get the results we wanted. We were able to stick together as a group really well. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that now. Like the likes of a Hannah Mundy who stepped into Liz's position, never played an SSN game before and to have the season she did. But I think now we're really starting to see the results when she comes out on court and then the likes of Arani Samerson, who wasn't on our list but got a couple of opportunities. And again, now this year we're really starting to see what she can do. So, yes, we were on wooden spooners and definitely not where we – we've never been in that position as a club ever. You know, you play netball and you represent Victoria and you expect to be at the top of the ladder. And I think that mentality for me was something that was really tough because – I think when I first started playing for the Melbourne Vixens, you you know you're a club, you, you go you expect to play finals. You expect to go out on court and win every game. Well, you had success so early in your career. That yeah. would have, like, set the benchmark of just being your norm, right? Exactly right. You know, we were in our second year at the Vixens. I think we were minor, like, we were at the top in my first year. Second year won the premiership. And Liz and I and Joe were like, this is great. Like, this is easy. We're going to win heaps mm. of premierships. Like, we played for Victoria and we went through and we won all the nationals and all of that. Yeah. And we were like, this is easy. It took us six years. We got this. To win we got this. Yeah, to win our second. And I think what you learn is that everything has to fall into place. You know, you have to have 
you you don't, can't have injuries. You can't have every little thing has to fall your way. And it took us six years, and now you know to be at the top again. I think once you get there and you get that opportunity after realizing how hard it is to win one, you want it. Like twenty twenty was amazing, and and yeah, we're desperate for another one this year. <laughs> um. Something I want to pick up on that you just talked about then in terms of like girls getting their chances and everything. I think that's one thing about netball and where it's at. I mean, it's so limited the number of women who can play. You say SSN, for those who don't know, the Suncorp Super Netball, the elite netball league. Um, it's so limited in how many girls can can play that. Is I mean, that I guess makes it truly elite, but it can also be a bit of a curse too, can't it? Yeah, it sure can. I think you know, you can look at it both ways and go, wow, it's so incredible. You know, there's eight teams, 10 players are contracted. So you've got 80 players in the whole of Australia playing in the Suncorp Super Netball, which is incredible to think how many young girls we have playing our sport and only 80 get to play at the top level. But then we don't even take into consideration that, you know, most teams have at least one or two international players and that's what makes our league so incredible is we are we do have the best league in the world but you probably got 15 to 20 of the spots on our list taken up by international players so then it leaves us with about 60 girls from Australia who are playing at the highest level in our sport so that's why the competition is so strong uh, and why everyone wants to be coming and playing in our league um, all over the world uh, so it, it's pretty incredible. I would love to see a few extra teams. I just think, or maybe even list sizes grow a little bit. In 2020, we had teams of 12 and you just saw, you know, young girls being able to get given the opportunity and for them to take those opportunities. And, you know, those spots are going to go to young Australian players as well. So I, I don't know whether you... Make, take the list back out to 12 or maybe you have a couple of extra teams come in but you just want to see more young girls being given opportunities to play in the top league because it's pretty special. Because we've got seven on the court. Talk us through the setup for the squads. Seven on the court? Yeah, so you usually have um, so you, you have seven on the court and then you have ten contracted players. So probably two of them would be rookie payment players. Um, I, I don't know the full ins and outs of it all. And then outside of that, you might have about four training partners. So I think it's a minimum of four training partners. So girls who just come in maybe once or twice a week, they'll have all access to everything. So they'll come into all their gym, but they might come into one or two court sessions a week. And then, yes, they get to work with us. So they'll also go and work uh, in their Victorian netball league clubs as well. Um, so you would like to see 12 instead of 10? I think 12 would be great. I just think it gives um, you the opportunity to bring in young players who might not quite be ready to be on the court, but until you're given that opportunity in an elite training environment every single day, uh, it's really hard to sign young players who maybe aren't, haven't been given the opportunity to train in these environments every day because there's only 10 spots and those three on the bench have to be ready at any stage to come on. What about capping? Capping international players? Do you, where do you yeah, stand on that? Because that's going to be a talking um, point. I'm not sure where I sit on that because I think that the international players bring something incredible to our sport and I've been lucky enough to play with Maui Kamwenda since we were playing in the Australian Netball League. So the league that sits underneath um, the Suncorp Super Netball. And I, what she has brought, what she has taught me has been absolutely incredible. You know, she's a girl who grew up, she didn't have shoes until she was 13. She started playing netball with what they built out of plastic. And to see her play 50, 100 games, you just go, wow how did you grow up with no shoes, no equipment and end up in Australia playing netball? And again, you got you go, wow, you know, really, how easy do I have it? Like I've been playing in this pathway, this incredible netball pathway, but to see these players come, you really just go, wow. So I love what they bring to our sport. They bring excitement. Helen Housie, Shamira Aiken, Sterling everyone. for Thunderbirds in defence, mm-hmm. like – they bring something really special to our sport, but 
unless we start to increase the list sizes, we're losing opportunities for for girls to play in Australia as well. So it, it is a flip of the coin. How do we get the best of both worlds? Expansion in order to get more teams, uh, you know, because it's only eight teams and you talk about the limited numbers, uh, you know, should expansion be on the cards for netball at the moment? And in terms of like in getting more money in order to be professional, I mean, if you have more of a product to sell for broadcast figures, then that's also a way that you can you can finally accelerate and, and, and get players to be full-time athletes. Yeah, and I guess that's the question or is... paid as full-time yeah, athletes, I should say. Yeah, we need to... Um yeah, is it a, is it expansion teams? Again, that's going to cost more money. Is there the money to do that? But in order to having more teams, does that mean you get more money from broadcast deals? So there, here's a whole lot of information, which I'm sure there's people that are so much more knowledgeable about how all of that works than I am. I, I have no doubt that broadcasting deals are um, the biggest thing. So how can we get people watching our sport? How can we get more people turning on the TVs and watching women's sport. I think that's one of the biggest things. You can get people watching. Um, you know, there's going to be more money put in to broadcast deals. How can we get people going and filling up stadiums every single week? And we've had some amazing crowds at John Kane Arena this year, and it's been so nice to be back in Melbourne and playing in front of home crowds. I think, you know, we've got our netball fans. How can we continue to get people that maybe aren't, netball fans at the moment engaged in our sport, turning on the TV and watching it. I think that's one of the biggest things. I think KO and Foxtel jumped on board with netball this year. So I think that's been really great to get different perspective, using different shows to sort of showcase the athletes and the sport. But you've just got to stay on your toes. I think the sport needs to keep evolving, finding new ways to get people um, engaged in the sport. I talked about before about netball representing women's sports, but now there's so much more competition. Does netball, you know, are they at risk of kind of being leapfrogged by these other other sports in, in their progression? Yeah, I have no doubt that everyone is trying to leapfrog netball. Um, you know, and there is so many opportunities out there for girls to pick whatever sport that they want to play, which is absolutely amazing. But I just look at that and think, uh, all right, netball game on here, you know, why not use this as an opportunity to get better and to thrive and um, continue to grow our sport because I honestly, you know, netball is like no other sport. I really think that in the world, you know, a sport where females really do dominate from players to coaches to, you know, you spoke about the likes of our CEO, Rosie King, the CEO of Netball Australia, um, Kelly Ryan, like, we have so many females playing, uh, being a part of our sport. And, you know, there's not many other sports where females really dominate. You know, we are the number one priority. You know, at Netball Victoria, it's we are their number one priority. I think that's pretty cool. So we are different in so many ways from a lot of these other sports. But how can we continue to stay the number one female sport in the country? Um, and I just think the competition that we're getting now, hopefully, is only going to make us better. Because you've talked about it before, about netball having to do it the hard way. There was no, you know, playing off the back of, you know, the other leagues and, and the men's game. It's you've built it from the ground up. I thought that was a really, really interesting comment. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, AFL women's and also cricket, you know, they've got the backing of the male side of their sport. Netball doesn't have that. You know, they had to go out and fight for their own broadcasting deal. They have to go out and, you know, we had to start right at the bottom with no other support. I think that's what something I'm really proud of is that, you know, I've never compared myself to um, the male version of the game. You know, we're seeing male netball grow a lot now, but for so long it was predominantly female. And, um, I've never felt held back or less of because I, of being a female because netball, that's all I knew. You know, they were my captains. The female version of a particular player. You were just that We were just a netballer. And Mm. um, I think that that's something that's so special about our sport. And it's not many um, industries or sports in the world where that can say the same thing. You know, we've really got to where we are because of the hard work of so many p- females before us playing the game. 
And, you know, now we're starting to see so much more investment from people outside of netball coming and getting involved. And I think really helping the sport grow and look at things from a different way as well, because for so long we were really traditionally netball. And I think that's only going to be great for our sport as well. I just think that we've come so far and the salary cap and the payment for our players has increased so much. And, you know, so many of us now do just play netball. It's Some still have to work and study. So how can we continue to grow our sport? Um, there was so much talk lately about animosity between the players and, and Netball Australia um, with with the selling off of, of the grand final and the, the players banded together to release that really powerful statement, um, you know, condemning the selling off of, of the grand final. And they did it because it was a $4.4 million loss for, for Netball um, and big black hole that they had to fill and that was something that they sold off. Where do you sit on on that and what was it that upset the players so much? It, it wasn't so much the selling off of the grand final because if the sport needs money, we 100% understand as players. I think it was the change in the rules so late in the season is what the players were so disappointed about and probably just the communication that, Netball Australia had with the players. So it was round 12 by the time we realised that this grand final was being sold. and Of a 14-round Of a 14-round competition. competition. And we yeah. thought the whole year that if you finish on top, you win the, minor, the major first or second, you win the major semifinal, you host the grand final. I think if you had have known that was going to happen at the start of the season, it would have been a whole different story. And I think second to that was that, you know, we've got a players association for a reason and um, we just didn't feel that the players are being included in the these some of these massive decisions that are being made to our competition. So it wasn't so much about selling the Grand Highland, we're against it because we fully understand that our sport continue, needs to continue to grow. Um, we need more money coming in. It was more so probably the timing of it and just that we weren't really included in that decision. And it sort of, it's not the first time there'd been things in the years before that had happened. So we just want to be, make sure that as a stakeholder within our game, and we believe a really important stakeholder is the players, that we are being included in these big decisions. Mm. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the super shot, because I know it's so controversial. <laughs> I love it. I'm well, such a fan of the that was the other one that I was talking shot. about. <laughs> the rule changes, I know, <laughs> jumping around it. But the super shot is just something that only the super netball competition, the Suncorp super yeah. netball has in. But And it is where in the last five minutes of every quarter, there's almost like a three-point um, ring of, well, it's two points, but yeah. you know, if you use basketball analogy, a three-point mark where around that circle, a long-distance shot, you get two points instead of just yep. the one for a goal. But um, it's so controversial and super netball and like uber netball fans <laughs> are on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm so scared of them. I'm like, I've played since I was six and I'm so invested in this yeah. game as well. I still play, but I'm still scared of uber netball fans on Twitter. I'm so, so sorry. They're so vocal. <laughs> They're so harsh. I'm like, okay. But I love the shot. It makes it so exciting and you're never out of it. But I know players, because that recent survey came out that not many players like it as well. But it adds so much excitement to the game. But yeah. Tell me where I'm so torn. That. Like when the news <laughs> first came out, I was, I will not lie, I was 100% against it. I thought it was so ridiculous. But I sit at home and watch it and I can see why. Like, I understand the excitement that it brings. The hard thing for us, I think, sometimes as netballers is that we're playing in this league that has two bench. We're going off to play international netball where that doesn't exist. And it does change the tactics of the game so much as well. You know, you talk to a lot of players within the team and they probably think that it should be a harder shot. So it's about a metre within the circle and if you're the very, um, I suppose, the closest point of the two-point shot to the post, it, I shouldn't talk because I'm not a shooter, but yeah. you're not that far out. So you talk sure. to defenders and they say, it just need, like, they're okay with it, but if it's going to stay, let's make it a harder shot to shoot. Right. Um, you don't think it's hard enough. It's not hard enough. Mm. But I think, God, it allows, 
I get the excitement because it doesn't matter where you are in the game, you can always come back. Yes. But for a fan at home, that last five minutes, you're like, my team's gone. But then now you're like, my team's not gone. My team's in. Which is really annoying when you're winning the whole time. (laughs) But I don't know. Does it lose the fact that like you only have to switch it on for the last quarter now to really, I don't know. I'm I'm really torn because as I said, I sit there and I watch games. I'm like, oh, this has made it so much, like so exciting to watch. I, I get that from a viewership. As a traditional player, I don't love it. Um, <laughs> traditional Maybe players. if... I'm a traditional player, but still, yeah. Maybe no. if the mid-quarters could shoot... No, I'm joking. Do not allow that. <laughs> you don't want that responsibility. I don't want that, no. No, no, I am no. torn. I can see it from both sides yeah. there. Yeah. I just want to ask you, if you were CEO for a day of netball, what's the first thing that you would do and you would change oh. for netball is there? That's such CEO a good question. Kate Maloney, if I was she's studying CEO. sports business management, masters of sports. Will we get rid of the will we get rid of the super shot? <laughs> no. Oh. If Other than I super was shot. CEO for netball for a day. Wow. That is such a good question. I have like so many things going. What's the first thing that you'd be like what was right the first on thing? the agenda? Yeah. Boom. I think oh. Mm, one thing. Oh, I, I, as I said, I'm just so passionate about the sport. Like, I no, just no, think no, no, we no, can no, no. do so much. Come on, what would you yeah. do? Look, I'd get me, rid of the super shot the and PR. I'd also give the, um, <laughs> ma- the winner of the major semi-final the home grand final. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I just, oh, what would I do? Yeah, I, I think I'd increase list sizes to 12. I think we just need to get more opportunities for girls playing sport at the top level. And then how the other thing I would invest so much is how can we keep girls playing netball? So not at net set go or under nines or under 11s. How do we keep our 15, 16, 17-year-old mm. girls playing netball? Because um, I think that's probably the biggest difference between females and males is that, you know, males will keep playing local footy for such a long time, but females we sort of, after we sort of get through those teenage, like 12, 13, if we're not at the top level, I feel like you start to see girls drop out. Mm. Um, so I'd invest and heavily in that. And have got more competition these days. Yeah. They can try they can another go sport other now. Sports. So I'd start investing heavily in, you know, how do we keep girls in our pathway and then let's just open up more opportunities at the top level. So let's get 12 players. If it's not, once we've got 12 players, let's start adding in expansion teams because we've got the depth in netball. But I understand that it comes back to money as well. So... Well, you know, how clubs can we wanting get it? to back it though. I yeah. know the Titans are big ones on that one as well. Yeah, so, so how do we get and that yeah, how do we get bigger broadcasting deals? How do we get more sponsors, you know? Um, yeah, wow. I don't uh yeah, good luck to the CEOs of Netball. Yeah, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> It'd be a tough job, I have no doubt. <laughs> it would be a very tough job. Very tough job. Hey, um, just quickly, your last your friendship with Liz Watson, that's been something that you've you've had for some time, right? Like you two, I mean, you're co-captains of the Vixens, but that's been a journey that you guys have been on for ages. Yeah, Lizzie and I have been playing netball since we were maybe 15, 16, playing, you know, growing up playing state teams together, but also playing in the Victorian Netball League together. Um, And it's something that I love about netball and not so much in a lot of sports anymore, but we don't so much as have a draft. So you can grow up playing for your state and continue to represent your state at the top level as well. Whereas for so many other sports, you get put in a, a draft and then you sort of all get split up. So, you know, we've been so lucky we played together for so long, seeing them all grow as athletes and netballers. And now Lizzie's the captain of Australia. It's pretty amazing to have witnessed that. But we've had so many amazing times on the court throughout hubs over the last two years and, (laughs) you know, off-season holidays and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's pretty special to have grown up playing with them and and to still be playing with them now. Well, um, at every podcast we ask someone close to or has been on that journey with our guests to record a secret memo. Um, And Liz recorded this for you. (laughs) Hi, Kate. I just want to say you are one of the most inspiring and passionate netballer that I've ever played with and I think that throughout all our time together with the Vixens and before you've always been that passionate and I guess energetic person that brings so much to our team 
Um, I love playing with you. I feel like we've got such a great combination out there on the court and a really great friendship off the court. So well done on everything that you have done and you continue continue to do with the Melbourne Vixens. We are very lucky to have you on our team and part of this club. And I know that you're going to go a long way um, with what's to come with your netball. Really? Oh, that was a bit nice, wasn't it? <laughs> was I swear nice. I didn't pay her. Um, I'll have to owe her a coffee or something for that. But no, yeah, it's been pretty cool. We've been through so many highs and lows in netball and, um, yeah, we've been able to create a great friendship but also connection on the court. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and... She talks about your passion. I love like your your circle like hubs, but I love like just seeing um, people's reactions on Twitter afterwards. They're like, you know, I, I need Kate Maloney every morning when I'm getting up from morning telling me I can do it. I can do it. I can get through this day. Oh God, it's a bit, I can't listen to them back, but yeah, I, I am a very passionate person. And once I'm fully invested in something, um, oh. you'll know about it because, but yeah, I, honestly, Playing netball is something I'm really passionate about. I love winning. I love the the idea of winning and losing. Like, and once I'm out there on court, it's just do or die. And Lizzie's <laughs> probably the one, like, I'm the really passionate, loud, energetic one. And Lizzie's the one that just, like, keeps us all cool, calm and collected and just goes <laughs> out and does it. So we have, um, we probably... Uh, what's the word, complement each other a yeah. lot in terms of our leadership as well. Yep, yep. Well, um, our final question that we ask every guest is if you could go back to that little Kate Maloney, what would you tell her? Um, I think I'd just say, like, keep working hard, hang in there because it, it'll all work out in the end. And, yeah, to think, you know, at the age of 14, I wouldn't have thought I was where I am today and have been playing netball for the past 10 years. And as I said, I think I'm the luckiest person in the world to run around, get paid to run around and play netball. It's it's pretty cool. And, you know, to see our, where our sports come from and where it is. And, you know, I get to play netball as a job. So, you know, hang in there. It'll all be worth it. You'll have some incredible times along the way. There'll be highs and lows, but it'll all be worth it in the end. Well, Kate, I've absolutely loved having you on the show. It's been a great chat. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with On Her Game and all the best for the Com Games and for the end of the Super Netball season. Thanks, Sam. I've loved coming on and having a chat with you. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. 